0: Hello and welcome to the first episode of Open Source Underdogs in 2020. I'm your host, Mike Schwartz, and this is episode 42 with Ed Boyajian, CEO of Enterprise DB. This episode was recorded last year. It took me a while to get it out due to some technical challenges. Let's just say the internet gods conspired against me the day I recorded this episode, and I had a finished recording on Zoom, which is fantastic for meetings, but not ideal for podcasts. So if you hear a slight audio quality difference towards the end, that's the reason. After the episode, I have an announcement about what you can expect this year from the Underdogs podcast. We have a new challenge, but I think you'll be excited to hear about it. So make sure you tune in after the main event. Ed is definitely one of the superstars of open source business. I got a lot of great insights from this interview, and I I feel like I only scratched the surface. We might have to have him back for a follow-up. But without further ado, here we go. Ed, thank you so much for joining the podcast today.
1: Hi, Mike. I'm glad to be here.
0: What was the enterprise DB product when you joined as CEO? And what were your first priorities to transform the business?
1: So I came to EDB in 2008, and the company had been founded a few years before that in 2005. The original thesis for the company was centered on uh, helping customer solve problems they were having with Oracle. I mean, even then there was well-known pain around lock-in that was associated with Oracle and EDB at its its origination had developed some technology to make uh, compatibility with Oracle uh, kind of the flagship technology such that it was easy to migrate applications written to run on Oracle to run those on a Postgres database. So when I joined the company, Um, That was kind of the center point of the business. And the company at that time was more prominently known as the Oracle-compatible database company. And my my focus when I joined was to really shift that and center it much more uh, squarely on being a Postgres database company.
0: What were some of the biggest challenges you faced when you joined as CEO to pivot the business?
1: I think, like many companies that have to face change, the core engineering focus of the business being on on Oracle compatibility, more so than Postgres, meant that there had to be a shift in mindset and to get people to really reorient around prioritizing Postgres and our competencies in the database platform itself as the priority for the company. And having come from Red Hat, I'd been there for almost seven years and had some experience, obviously, around open source projects and, and working with open source communities, I think that was an important change for the company to really think about what it meant to be participants and contributors to a project like Postgres. Did
0: the Postgres community welcome Enterprise DB? How would you describe your relationship with the community?
1: So I think that the Postgres community was, uh, was and is very welcoming of contributions from outside. And to that end, and at that time, very, uh, very welcoming to EDB in our contributions. I think the company had done work with Postgres previously, uh, but in the intervening time, we've had uh, a number of we've invested in a number of people who've come to the company that are that are key contributors to the community. So that's been, uh, I think, a a real strength. Postgres, like Linux, as you may know, is an independent open source community. Uh, It's not one that's controlled by a company. I think that's inherently the strength of the community. And I think given the longevity of the Postgres community, and I think the nature of governance there, Postgres is governed by a a core team of folks that uh, manage the whole project. There's no single individual who's responsible. I think that is also structurally aligned well to encourage contributions from companies like EDB.
0: Cloudera and Chef recently went from open core to 100% open source. Of course you're familiar with Red Hat that has a similar model. Do you think that open source vendors are moving away from open core?
1: I see generally that being true, although many companies including EDB do work on the periphery around the core open source project. We do that in the form of tools and extensions that aren't specifically in the database server itself. And we do those projects outside of the, the, the core community project. And I think a lot of companies, including Red Hat, do, do work in similar fashion. But generally speaking, I think there's a great advantage to being prominent and active contributor to projects. And I think most of the commercial companies associated with open source projects have, have, have recognized that value.
0: Well, speaking of value, what are some of the most important value propositions for Enterprise DB?
1: So I think there, there are really a couple that we focus on, and I think that mean most to our customers. The first is around customer obsession, but it's customer obsession set entirely in the context of Postgres. And to kind of put another lens on it, I think it, it would be fair to say Postgres 1, that enterprises And governments all over the world have made Postgres a standard database that, that's now part of their uh, strategy. And so EDB was central in creating that win in the market. And because of that, I think we're uniquely positioned with our exclusive focus on Postgres to provide a level of care for our customers that no one else in the market can, can do at this stage. So I think that's one. I think the second is Postgres. Technical differentiation, and for EDB that manifests in a couple of ways, uh, primarily in our contributions to the community where we've led advancements in the core Postgres database platform for many of our customers and parallel query uh, projects like Zheap and, and other projects where there's you know there's a meaningful amount of heavy lifting. we've been the primary contributors to much of that work. The second area where we create technical distinction is what I mentioned earlier in the enhancements that we make um, kind of around the database server itself. Now, some of them touch the database server like Oracle compatibility, which many of our customers still value from EDB. But beyond that, doing work in the areas that enable Postgres to be deployed at scale have been really important. You can think about that in the, in, in, in the context of uh, replication or you know, failover, enterprise class management and monitoring, all the things that any enterprise would need to run a database at scale.
0: How many enterprise DB products are there today and which are most important from a revenue perspective?
1: So predominantly, we think of it as as, as essentially being one primary product. We call it the EDB Postgres platform. Within that, there are two database server options. One is the pure community edition The second is that version of the database server that's enhanced with the work we've done in Oracle compatibility and and a few other areas. We bundle with that the tools that I described earlier, such that our customers don't have to pay for a separate, separate SKU or line item for the pieces and parts they need to make the database run. And that's notably different than the traditional enterprise vendors in the market.
0: Ed, pricing is really hard for startups. Do you have any advice on how to find the right gates or how to set the right price or how to evolve pricing as the business environment changes?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It is a, a part of the strategy that's evolved over time. In the early stages, as we started to develop some of those capabilities around the database server itself, we attempted to monetize those as parts. And we found that that was particularly complicated, largely because customers were turning to Postgres, we're turning away from complex contractual arrangements and complex buying systems they have with Oracle and other and other commercial vendors. So I think our first attempt at that, we got wrong. By putting that into a, a bundle, it also created the dilemma of figuring out how to price that sufficiently such that we didn't overprice because we had a lot of extra development and IP and value add on the one hand, but on the other hand, kept things simple. And so we, you know, over the years have been really tuned in, kind of creating price points that are appropriate for our customers. And I would say it's evolved even more recently as we've done more extensive work in areas of the product, particularly with replication, for example, where it's become, that alone has become valuable. Some of our customers want that almost exclusively so we're starting to rethink how we approach that pricing model and and looking at stratification of our product line and and i think what we'll see going forward is some additional skews that allow us to kind of address different levels in the market
0: data persistence is a horizontal market do you segment the market at all
1: Generally speaking, we don't. And, and I think if you look at database and, you know, just recognize that database is a infrastructure software. It it is incredibly prolific across enterprise environments. I think if you look a little more closely in on database, if you look at a a database like Postgres, which is a true general purpose uh, transactional database, it has even broader horizontal applicability in in an enterprise as compared to some of the specialty database uh, technologies that are in the market today so given that the, that nature that it touches every application it touches every department it touches every developer you know we're mindful that our opportunity is equally distributed both in terms of within an organization and then across industries and segments now having said that we've seen centers a massive for the business that have been prominent and so we do some specialized marketing to those categories and you know the ones that are most significant infotech, which is software and hardware technology. So we have a probably our biggest sub segment of our business, government be as much as a quarter of our business today, financial services, uh, another really important vertical for the company. And then uh, media and telecom. Those four segments would represent ninety percent of our business. So we do orient some of our messaging and solutioning around those segments. And then split another way, we are a global company with more than half of our business coming from outside the United States and so interestingly that split about 30% in APJ, 20% in EMEA and the rest in North America. So we also in that context do segmentation that is more geo-oriented. I've
0: noticed that Enterprise DB has a really great partner network. What are the different types of partnerships that are important for Enterprise DB?
1: yeah it's uh, it's been an important part of our growth strategy and i and i and I'll let me put it in context we've had now 39 consecutive quarters of subscription revenue growth and if you looked inside of that that's come largely because of a diverse network of go to market strategies and partnerships the about 65% of our business comes through indirect channels. And so we categorize that in the kind of classic form distributor reseller market, which is is probably clearly the most prominent go-to-market route for us outside of North America. We rely heavily on, on distributors and resellers in both of EMEA and APJ. So that's a, a, a particularly mature and growing part of the business and, and one that we prioritize Beyond that, we look at a network of partners who provide some other form of value add. You know, we may, we may kind of call them, coin them OEM. They're not all literally OEM partners, but they, in one form or another, are technology partners who, who bring EDB products to market, you know, somewhat different than a distributor. Uh, a notable one that we just announced this, this uh, past year, late in the year, was our partnership with IBM. Uh, you know, in close alignment with their data and AI teams and uh, and where we bring our products to market w- in, in close alignment with IBM solutions, uh, particularly in, in and around their cloud pack for data, for example. So that's an example of a of a prominent partner that that brings us to market. You see we see other examples of that. Where we've developed strong alliances, I think another notable one is Infosys, where again, you know, particularly in their new application development practice bring edB and Postgres to their clients as they do do work there.
0: Over the years, have you developed any rules of thumb as to which partnerships to develop?
1: I think there are partners who have a clear, vision and agenda that relates to open source and then to go a step further have gone beyond that and, and really defined Postgres as a part of that strategy those not surprisingly are high priority partner targets for us and that actually exists across the continuum we've seen in the distributor and reseller world we've seen partnerships evolve and emerge that were specifically, focused where the partner was specifically po- focused on bringing a postgres solution to market and again uh, even our recent partnership with with IBM for example or our partnership with with Infosys our our partnership that we announced last year with Alibaba all were centered on their vision to bring a postgres solution to market
0: building a global sales organization is a huge challenge how did you go about transforming the sales organization when you joined enterprise db
1: it was a really interesting challenge because I had just come from Red Hat where when I joined Red Hat at the company was maybe 50 million and I ran the North America business at the time of my departure which was you know approaching a 250 to 300 million dollar business. So I had I had the opportunity to live through a, an extraordinary amount of growth in a sales model around open source. When I came to EDB uh, the company was tiny by comparison and there wasn't a firmly established sales pattern. And so one of the things that we started to do was really focus on the, the being efficient in acquiring customers. And I think that's an important distinction, especially for this audience. You know, rather than plow, you know, big money into what I'd think of as high end enterprise reps, we started with a inside sales motion that toggled around downloads, software downloads and incrementing in sales spend at a relatively small rate until we got to higher levels of of value with customers and and really built from a, a, what I'd consider a really basic selling model out and that proved to be incredibly powerful because we got quite good at addressing customers frankly in a way that I think they prefer you know to intersect companies nowadays
0: the enterprise software market's changed a lot in the last 15 years can you talk about how you think vendors of open source software should adjust their sales strategy for twenty twenty?
1: I think you have to look first at what's changed in the landscape of i t consumption and how buyers are forming inside of companies i mean if you If you look in a little closer, first, I think the commoditization of compute has allowed users across the enterprise to emerge, and you couple that with the way development is happening now more outside of IT and more in the business unit, the the pattern of adoption for technologies has changed. It's not centered on IT. And so I think the old strategies that we used to use in growing a a global sales organization to bring in relatively expensive high-end sellers to engage with a relatively finite number of buyers has fundamentally changed. The other thing that's changed alongside that is customers and users consume a tremendous amount of information on their journey. In fact, they're in uh, heavily in self service mode in their learning about technology or a company. And here again, I think a, an easy mistake to make in a go to market model, in an inefficient go to market model, is to think you need to fill that blank in with staff or or what I you know we might think of as high end salespeople, but rather to build the systems that allow users, and prospective customers to self-serve as far as possible, which is their preferred method of engagement nowadays. So my view of that has changed radically over the course of the past 20 years in terms of how to build and structure the right kind of selling motion and and sales organization.
0: As you know, enterprises are moving to the cloud for many services, but as an enterprise software vendor, on-premise or hybrid cloud is still critical for growth. Is the move to the cloud accelerating? Has it peaked? And any advice for open source software vendors on how to align with this trend?
1: Well, I would say that the move to to cloud is accelerating. I think that's it's hard to argue that. But I think, at least from what we see, now that, that I think companies are starting to kind of settle in on enterprise strategies for how they deploy technologies. Cloud is, is another important deployment platform, just as traditional on-prem deployments aren't an important deployment platform. And I think it's easy to get caught in this kind of notion that there'll be no tech deployed in, in what we may think of today as traditional context. We just don't see that as a reality. I think the difference for companies that are building businesses to think about what are the key technology capabilities that you have to develop to enable your customers to deploy in any environment of their choice that's how we're focusing on this uh this change and we can't avoid the reality that you know 70% 80% of our customers deploy in traditional on-prem environments now those environments are becoming more cloud like in the way they're being deployed on containers uh, certainly in virtualized environments but at the end of the day our customers view and we, with them, view cloud as a, another very important deployment platform, but it's just another deployment platform.
0: Amazon and other mega clouds are offering RDBMS as a service, and many in the industry are understandably concerned about mega cloud providers moving up in the application stack. As someone who's experienced this firsthand, do you think it's good or bad for your business?
1: Well, look, we have many of our customers deploy databases in the cloud. So I think you have to separate maybe two things. I think it's very valuable to have cloud computing as a utility and as a deployment platform for enterprise customers. It makes compute more accessible. I think it gives a lot of businesses a lot of flexibility that they can't get in traditional deployment. So in that context, I think that you know the deployment of databases in cloud is healthy for enterprises. I think this question of whether or not Amazon being prominent in offering as a prime vendor those database services, it intersects that. But I think most broadly speaking, I think the availability of cloud services is a good thing for companies like EDP and for other open source companies.
0: Last question. Any advice for new entrepreneurs who are launching a business around an open source software product?
1: Yeah, I guess I'd give a um, maybe a cu- couple of thoughts. I think, you know, one is make sure that, you know is you're thinking about where you want to take your business that you have a credible commercial vision for for what you intend to do with the technology and i think that starts with really being clear minded about you know the needs that are being served and defining that in the context of target markets and being thoughtful about the kind of business model you design to serve that market. I think it's easy in open source technologies to, at some level, get caught up in the enthusiasm that goes along with the projects. But I think building a business around that takes, you know, not surprisingly, a, a remarkable amount of thoughtfulness and discipline.
0: Ed, thank you so much for making time to talk to us today.
1: It was my pleasure. Thank you.
0: And thank you to the EDB team for logistical support. Transcription and episode audio can be found on opensourceunderdogs.com. Music from Broke for Free and Chris Zabriskie. Transcription by Maria Anshakovic. Now, as promised, special announcement time. For those of you who have listened to all the podcasts, you might have noticed a preponderance of male voices. In fact, the male-to-female guest ratio is 42 to 1. The only female guest we scheduled was Jamie Thompson, way back in episode 2. So this year, we're going to hear from more women who are leading pure play open source startups. After this episode, in fact, for the rest of 2020, it's going to be all women. To start things off, we have Deborah Bryant, Senior Director of the Open Source Program Office at Red Hat. I heard her give a presentation at the Open OpenCore Summit last year, and I'm still repeating some of the things that she said. We're filling out the schedule. If you know of any great open source business leaders who are women, please let us know. You can tweet at us using podcast that's F-O-S-S podcast, or you can send me a message on LinkedIn. Just mention that you're a listener and I'll be happy to accept your connection. The next episode will be out towards the end of February, and then you can expect episodes about once a month this year. So thanks for listening and best of luck with your open source business models in 2020.